Good afternoon. Uh, I think we'll start the hearing, and when uh, Senator Shelby comes, we'll uh, yield to him so we can introduce uh, Ms. Blanchard. Uh, I want to welcome all the nominees. Uh, thank you for your prior service to this country, those that you are currently serving, and your willingness to serve in the future. I want to welcome your families and friends and encourage you in your, in your opening statements to certainly introduce them to the, the committee. Uh, today we are gathering to consider four nominations, uh, ambassadorships to Slovenia, Moldova, Kosovo, and Montenegro. Um, these are important uh, ambassadorships. Uh, I personally believe that these countries, although they're not huge, they're important. Uh, they're, they're, they're on the cusp. They're, we're kind of a hinge point in history in terms of, you know, do they continue to seek out uh, relationships with the West and, and realize that their economic and political future is really lies with the West, or uh, do they start looking back toward, toward, uh, toward Russia? And so I think the most important thing that uh, the West needs to do is pay attention. Uh, let them know that we really do want to help them uh, proceed, uh, shed legacies of corruption, uh, install rule of law, uh, advance economically. And uh, so again, I, I really do appreciate the fact that uh, you're all willing to serve in these important posts. Uh, we do have uh, the pleasure of having Senator Doug Jones introduce Ms. Blanchard, so I know your time is, is precious like all of ours. So we'll let you go first, and then we'll kind of see how, how this all goes when Senator Shelby comes. But Senator, Senator Jones, the floor is yours. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. It is a, it's a great pleasure to be here, and it's always a, an interesting opportunity to go before Senator Shelby whenever he uh, get the opportunity. Uh, as you know, this is, um, I'm still fairly new to this body, and this is my first opportunity to help introduce a, a nominee to one of our committees for nomination. I am honored to be here today. Um, I want to make sure that I first congratulate uh, Ms. Linda Blanchard and her family on this nomination, but more importantly, I want to congratulate the President on this nomination. Ms. Blanchard has distinguished herself in our state of Alabama and abroad as a true humanitarian and an advocate for children, which is important to all of us. Ms. Blanchard has been the driving force as founder and CEO of several nonprofit organizations that have had a positive impact on children at home and around the world. In Montgomery, Alabama, she established an equestrian program for children with special needs and disabilities. Internationally, her 100X Foundation has had a positive impact on development, development challenges on nearly every continent through programs delivered by strategic partnerships with several universities in Alabama. Her leadership has been critical to building innovative approaches to maternal, newborn, and child health, nursing education, and human trafficking. The work has touched people's lives in countries including Malawi, Moldova, India, Peru, and Honduras. In Alabama, we're very proud of our nationally renowned nursing and medical education programs. It is to Ms. Blanchard's credit that mothers and children in rural villages in Malawi may now benefit from the care of nurses trained by students and faculty from the University of Alabama in Birmingham's doctoral nursing program. Lindy has experience as a liaison with many foreign governments in building these strategic partnerships, and I know that experience will serve her well in representing our nation's interest in Slovenia. Mr. and Ms. Blanchard are also strong advocates for international adoption and are proud parents of seven children, four of which were adopted from overseas. Mr. Chairman, I believe Ms. Blanchard's experience as a leader in international development and an advocate for children will serve her well 
as our next ambassador to Slovenia. I thank you for the time and allowing me to be here today and to introduce her to the committee, and I'm honored to do so. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, thanks, Senator Jones. I, we certainly appreciate that. Uh, while we're waiting for Senator Shelby, uh, Senator Murphy, do you have an opening statement? Uh, I can if you'd like me to. Uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm, I'm very happy to have uh, uh, a, an esteemed uh, panel of nominees before us uh, today focusing uh, clearly on the Balkan region. Um, uh, this is a region that both the chairman and I care a lot about, uh, a place where we have been. Um, you, I always say if you want to tell a good news story uh, about the Balkans, you can tell a good news story. Um, we forget that there was a time in the very recent past when uh, as uh, a requirement uh, to entry into the Senate or the House, you had to know a whole lot about this region because there was a big U.S. footprint in it and there was great uncertainty as to whether it was going to be able to emerge from war. Uh, there's been a tremendous amount of progress made since those days. At the same time, if you want to tell a bad news story about the Balkans, you can, because many of those ethnic tensions are still simmering, borders are still unresolved, and uh, progress has been slow recently on uh, democracy promotion and the rule of law. Uh, I tend to hew towards the good news story rather than the bad news story, but uh, if you want that to be the future, not just the present, U.S. engagement is the key. And when you travel to that region, that's what you hear over and over again, uh, that without the United States on the ground, uh, without an active United States uh, on the ground, um, those tensions that are still there um, that led to this part of the world being at the center of all of the global conflicts uh, that we read about in the history books, um, uh, then uh, the bad news can overwhelm the good news. And I, I think we've got a great uh, lineup here that will represent the United States uh, ably and look forward to their testimony. Thanks, Senator Murphy. So uh, when confirmed, uh, you'll certainly have support from this committee in terms of paying attention and, and supporting your efforts uh, as best we can. And excellent timing. We just see uh, Senator Shelby entering right now. So if you want to get settled there, Senator Shelby, you can have the floor to induce uh, Ms. Blanchard. Sorry I was late, but we were trying to tee up, as you know, all of you know, the appropriation bill on the floor. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ranking Member Murphy, I appreciate the opportunity to appear before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee today to introduce Ms. Lindy Blanchard of Montgomery, Alabama. She's been nominated by President Trump to serve as the United States Ambassador to Slovenia. I've known and respected Lindy for many years. I'm proud of her philanthropic efforts and, many, and her many achievements, which have allowed her to be nominated for this ambassadorship. Ms. Blanchard co-founded B&M Management, a leading real estate company, where she most recently served as a senior advisor. In this role, Lindy was in charge of overseeing operation, managing maintenance, and deploying teams to locations nationwide. Additionally, Ms. Blanchard co-founded and served as the CEO of 100X Development Foundation, an, or an organization dedicated to creating solutions to eliminate poverty and improve the lives of children around the world. Through the years, she's gained experience working all over the globe, including Africa, Asia, South America, uh, to mention some, to further the mission of the 100X Development Foundation. Along with her vast business experience and international outreach, Ms. Blanchard has a passion for helping people 
with special needs. She's served on numerous nonprofit boards, supported education programs across my state of Alabama, and been an advocate for adoption. She's also been recognized for her philanthropic efforts through the years. She received a Distinguished International Humanitarian Award from the National Council of Women, and following her work uh, to prevent human trafficking in Moldova, she was publicly honored by John Burkow, Britain's Speaker of the House of Commons, and Mr. Peter Bone, a member of parliament and chairman of the all-party parliamentary group. Ms. Blanchard's vast knowledge, experience, and dedication to forming and maintaining international relationships, I think, make her highly qualified to serve in this new capacity. She will, I believe she will use this opportunity as a way to maintain our nation's positive relationship with Slovenia. I support this nomination and urge my colleagues in the Senate to do the same, and I'm hopeful that the committee will act favorably on this nomination. And thank you, Mr. Chairman and Ranking uh, Member Murphy, for letting me come ahead like this. Well, thank you, Senator Shelby, and your timing was perfect. Your junior senator did a good job as well introducing Ms. Blanchard. So, uh, again, th thank you for coming here thank and you. providing that introduction. Uh, so, without further ado, I also have an introduction, but I don't think I can really add much to what uh, Senator Shelby and Senator Jones did. So, uh, Ms. Blanchard, the floor is yours for your testimony. Thank you, Chairman Johnson, Ranking Member Murphy, and distinguished members of the committee. I would also like to thank my Alabama delegation, especially Senator Shelby and Senator Jones for their generous introductions as well as their unfailing support and dedication to our great state. I'm blessed to be here today as the President's nominee to serve as ambassador to the Republic of Slovenia. I understand and appreciate the immense importance of this post to the First Lady and I'm honored by President Trump's and Secretary Pompeo's faith in me. If confirmed, I will work tirelessly on behalf of the people of the United States to strengthen our relationship with this friend and ally. I'm here today with my family, and I would not be in this position today if it were not for their unwavering love and support. Do you mind if they stand up? Is that okay? Thank you. Our country has afforded me many opportunities for which I'm ever grateful. I was married at 19, became a mom to a three-year-old son six months later, and then earned my degree in my 30s when we were finally able to afford it. I've served in a variety of professional roles, at times just to make ends meet. This includes serving as an orthopedic assistant, business executive, and humanitarian. I've partnered with international business leaders and foreign dignitaries on projects to improve education, decrease poverty, and instill dignity and hope. My family and I have accomplished this through our nonprofit organization that provides care to thousands of children across the globe. As an adoptive parent of children from around the world, I take my role in positively impacting lives, both personally and seriously. I look forward to putting my humanitarian passion business acumen, and large-scale management proficiencies to work for our country on the international stage. If confirmed, I am confident that these experiences will make me an effective and reliable representative of the United States of America and a friend to Slovenia. If confirmed also, I realize that upon my arrival in Slovenia, 
I will not be the expert. In my experience working in different countries abroad, I have found that the first order of business is to learn from the experts in that country. This includes our embassy officials at post, as well as Slovenian government officials, business people, academics, representatives of the media, and NGOs, as well as the Slovenian public. Slovenia has positioned itself as a reliable partner of the United States. However, there are many ways to improve relations between our countries. Though a young country, Slovenia has emerged as a regional leader in implementing democratic reforms and has played a positive role in the Balkan region. Slovenia has built an impressive reputation for international cooperation, multilateral engagement, and respect for the rule of law. As a member of the European Union and the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, Slovenia has supported many American initiatives abroad. Its military has supported our mission in Afghanistan and in Iraq. Its government has adopted rigorous measures to combat human trafficking. Its institutions safeguard civil liberties and promote human rights domestically and around the globe. These commitments and the values that underpin them are not simple or easy, and they must be recognized and commended. With 50% of the Slovenian economy under state ownership or control, there exist opportunities for increased private investment. In recent years, the government has taken steps to privatize state-owned enterprises. Privatization has contributed to improved economic outcomes, such as higher wages, increased productivity, and growing consumer command. Encouraging these reforms and initiatives will help Slovenia attract U.S. companies and investors interested in doing business there. If confirmed, Senators, I will relentlessly advocate and use every available tool at my disposal to encourage Slovenians to accelerate reforms to improve bilateral trade and investment opportunities. And lastly, relations between our two countries must continue to improve through direct outreach and engagement with Slovenian people. If confirmed, I will seek to expand and enhance further American standing by directly engaging the Slovenian public. I will build on my predecessor's efforts to foster greater understanding and cooperation by facilitating sustained dialogue between our two peoples. Thank you for your time and consideration, and I look forward to answering any questions. Well, thank you, Ms. Blanchard. Our next nominee is Mr. Derek J. Hogan. And Mr. Hogan is the President's nominee to be U.S. Ambassador to Moldova. Mr. Hogan, a career member of the Foreign Senior Foreign Service, has worked as an American diplomat for over 20 years. Since 2017, he has served as Deputy Executive Secretary of the U.S. Department of State. Mr. Hogan has served five tours working in or on Eastern Europe. On his most recent tour overseas, he served in Azerbaijan as Charge d'Affaires and Deputy Chief of Mission. Previously, he worked as the Department of State representative on the civilian military provincial reconstruction teams in southern Afghanistan. Mr. Hogan. Thank you, Senator. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Murphy, and distinguished members of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, I am honored and humbled to appear here today as President Trump's nominee to be the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of Moldova. I am grateful to the President and to Secretary Pompeo for the confidence they have placed in me. If confirmed, I pledge to work closely with the Congress to advance our nation's important interest in Moldova. 
I would not be here without the love and support of my wife, Ani, and our daughter, Hannah, right behind me. Ani and Hannah have kept me balanced, humble, and focused on the most important things in life. I also would like to introduce you to my father, Eric Hogan, and stepmother, Linda Hogan, who are behind me as well. My father and my mother, Mickey Hogan, who passed away in 2005, and my stepmother, Linda, have taught me how to put my faith in God and live to serve others. During my 21-year diplomatic career, I have had the opportunity to do just that, serve the American people by promoting U.S. interests and values in the Dominican Republic, Nicaragua, Afghanistan, Belarus, Russia, and Azerbaijan. I believe my overseas assignments in countries in transition and vulnerable to foreign malign influence, along with multiple senior leadership positions in the Department of State, have prepared me well to lead a dynamic mission in a country on Europe's eastern frontier. Our overarching foreign policy objective in Moldova is for the country to be a fully democratic, economically prosperous state, firmly anchored in Europe, secure within its internationally recognized borders. In signing an association agreement and a deeper and comprehensive free trade agreement with the European Union in 2014, Moldova boldly chose a Euro-Atlantic path. Despite active Russian interference and opposition, the Moldovan government has taken important steps on that path. With donor aid, including considerable assistance from the United States, Moldova has strengthened its police force, efforts to combat trafficking in persons, and some of its key institutions, such as customs and tax collection agencies. As, some, uh, as a result of the often difficult economic reforms it has undertaken, today Moldova's economy is less dependent on Russia than ever before, with over 80% of exports now going to European, North American, and other markets outside of the former Soviet Union. Moldova is also diversifying its sources and routes to break its dependence on Russian-supplied energy, building new connections, new connections to Europe. Moldova has actively contributed to ensure greater regional security and consistently participates in regional military exercises and supports the NATO-led mission in Kosovo. We also welcome the recent progress in the OSCE-led negotiations to resolve the long-standing Transnistria conflict and reach an agreement on a special status for Transnistria within Moldova's internationally recognized borders. If confirmed as ambassadors, I will continue to support Moldova's efforts to resist Russian pressure and fully realize its potential as a prosperous, Western-oriented democracy. The Moldovan government and people undoubtedly recognize that much work still needs to be done. Corruption, weak rule of law, and a non-transparent justice sector only hamper Moldova's economic growth and facilitate its vulnerability to Russian pressure. The non-transparent invalidation of the June 3 mayoral elections in the capital, Chisinau, thwarted the electoral will of the Moldovan people and undermined rule of law. Next February's parliamentary elections are a crucial opportunity to boost international and domestic confidence in Moldova. If confirmed, my goal will be to consistently demonstrate to the Moldovan government and public the benefits and responsibilities of deeper integration into the Euro-Atlantic community. I will direct our assistance to continue to promote needed democratic reforms, strengthen Moldovan institutions, and combat corruption at all levels. With my team at the embassy, I will support broad-based economic growth, 
work to reduce poverty, and encourage a rules-based system that is conducive to U.S. commercial activity. Direct engagement with the people of, of Moldova will figure prominently on my daily schedule. If confirmed, the safety and security of our talented mission personnel and American citizens in the country will be my top priority. I will also continue to be a good steward of the American people's tax dollars and resources. In closing, I would like to take this opportunity to thank each of you for your time today. If confirmed, I look forward to working with you and our U.S. mission team in Moldova to advance our important interests and strengthen our bilateral relationship. Thank you, and I would be pleased to answer any questions you have. Thank you, Mr. Hogan. Our next nominee is Mr. Philip Koznet. Mr. Koznet has been nominated to be the U.S. Ambassador to Kosovo. Mr. Koznet is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service. From 2016 to 2018, he served as the Charge d'Affaires and Deputy Chief of Mission at the U.S. Embassy in Ankara, Turkey. Prior to his post in Turkey, he served as the Director of the State Department's Office of Southern European Affairs and as Deputy Chief of Mission at the U.S. Embassy in Uzbekistan. He previously served in Kosovo in 2003 as the Political Director at the U.S. Office in Pristina. Mr. Koznet. Chairman Johnson, Ranking Member Murphy, Senator Kane, it is an honor to appear before the committee today as the President's nominee as Ambassador to the Republic of Kosovo. I deeply appreciate the trust and confidence the President and the Secretary of State have placed in me to represent the American people, and I hope to earn your trust as well. I am accompanied today by my wife, Allison Koznet, a development professional who has served with me in Iraq, Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, and Turkey. The U.S. relationship with Kosovo is rock solid. Kosovo credits the United States as its closest strategic partner. Kosovo remains staunchly pro-American, and our partnership is rooted in a shared belief that a sovereign, democratic Kosovo is essential to Balkan stability. Having served in Kosovo earlier in my career, I have experienced for myself the deep connection between the people of Kosovo and the United States. The U.S. investment in Kosovo has yielded concrete results. Since 1999, $1.9 billion in U.S. assistance has helped Kosovo build institutions, achieve the highest GDP growth in the region every year since 2015, and improve integration of minority communities. Thanks to U.S. advocacy, over 100 countries now recognize a sovereign, independent Kosovo. U.S. businesses have found Kosovo a welcome environment for building world-class highways, opening franchises, and developing a $1.4 billion power plant that will revolutionize Kosovo's economy. Despite its notable achievements, Kosovo continues to face challenges which impact U.S. interests in the Balkans and beyond. If confirmed, I will lead a whole-of-government effort to help Kosovo overcome these obstacles, focusing the work of the embassy on several priority areas. First, enhancing dialogue with Serbia. The U.S. government's most pressing priority is normalization of Kosovo's relationship with Serbia, which would bolster regional stability and pave the way for both countries' regional, for both countries' Western integration. The United States strongly supports the EU-facilitated dialogue and welcomes the intensification of high-level talks. If confirmed, I will encourage Kosovo to pursue a resolution that improves the lives and ensures the safety of all citizens of Kosovo and Serbia. NATO's K4 mission, trusted by Albanians and Serbs alike, 
and in which U.S. forces play a leadership role remains essential to providing the stability and security necessary to allow these negotiations to take place. Second, countering corruption and strengthening rule of law. Corruption in Kosovo remains endemic. Strengthening the rule of law is essential to attracting foreign investment and increasing public trust in Kosovo's institutions. Justice for victims of all ethnicities remains vital and a prerequisite for reconciliation. If confirmed, I will urge the government to support the work of the special court in The Hague to deal responsibly with Kosovo's past. Third, supporting human rights and minority integration. If confirmed, I will actively support the protection of Kosovo's rich heritage and will hold officials to account when they fail to uphold Kosovo's rigorous legal protections for human rights. I will continue the mission's focus on increasing inter-ethnic cooperation, ensuring equal access to justice and services for all of Kosovo's citizens. Fourth, combating terrorism and violent extremism. With US support, Kosovo has become a regional leader in counterterrorism. Since 2015, Kosovo has arrested over 200 individuals suspected of supporting terrorism. 20 NGOs with extremist links have been closed. If confirmed, I will continue our broad collaboration with Kosovo in confronting this challenge. Fifth, enhancing Kosovo's capabilities for self-defense. Like any country, Kosovo has the sovereign right to establish armed forces for its defense. The United States supports transition of the Kosovo security force into a NATO interoperable army with a limited defense mandate. Kosovo should remain in close coordination with us and continue its outreach to Kosovo Serbs to ensure a successful transition. If confirmed, I will work with NATO allies and Kosovo to create a Kosovo Armed Forces that is capable, inclusive, and a positive element for regional stability. And finally, developing energy security. Unreliable energy costs the Kosovo economy $415 million annually, or roughly 6% of, of GDP. If confirmed, I will advocate for implementation of Kosovo's comprehensive energy security strategy, which includes a diversified portfolio of traditional and renewable fuels. In conclusion, Kosovo's emergence as an increasingly stable, confident, and prosperous democracy, a reliable partner in the pursuit of common security and economic interests, is a success story for American diplomacy. If confirmed, I will work with the government and people of Kosovo, with the exceptional interagency team at Embassy Pristina, with partners in the administration and in the Congress, with American businesses and NGOs, and with international counterparts to realize the vision of a democratic and stable Kosovo. I thank you for your time and would be pleased to take questions. Thank you, Mr. <clears throat> thank you, Mr. Kosnett. Our fourth nominee is Ms. Judy Rising Renka and she's the nominee to be U.S. Ambassador of Montenegro. Ms. Renka is a senior career member of the Department of Commerce's Foreign Commercial Service. Most recently, Ms. Renka served as Deputy Director General of the Global Markets Division of the Department of Commerce. Over the course of her career that has spanned three decades, she has served at six U.S. missions overseas. Ms. Renka. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ranking Member Murphy, distinguished members of the panel, thank you for the time and the opportunity to to appear before you as President Trump's nominee as U.S. Ambassador to uh, Montenegro. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to serve 
and the confidence that the President and the Secretary have placed in me. Uh, and I, if confirmed, I, uh, I want to pledge to you that I want to work closely with you in achieving U.S. objectives in Montenegro. I'm really proud today to be accompany, accompanied by my husband, Edwin Reinke, my daughter, Catherine Reinke. Uh, she's a sophomore at Johns Hopkins. We're very proud of her. Uh, the two of them have sat by my side uh, everywhere we've gone. They've been my most uh, committed supporters. I want to publicly thank them for their patience and love. Uh, the path to my own career as a public servant uh, started in my youth. I'm the daughter of an American uh, U.S. Army officer uh, and a nurse, uh, and public servant service was in my veins. I'm very proud that my grandfather, my father, two of my uncles, and my brother, Harry Rising, who's watching by live stream, um, they were all West Point graduates, and I heard the words duty, honor, country growing up in my ears. I was proud that they served our country, and I chose my own path towards an international uh, public service career and found it fortunate to uh, become a member of the U.S. and Foreign Commercial Service, part of the U.S. Department of Commerce, as a Foreign Service officer. In fact, I am only the fifth Commerce Department official to appear before this committee for consideration as a chief of mission, and I'm the first woman, and I'm proud of that. In fact, I am proud, and I said proud again, but I am proud to represent the men and women of the Foreign Commercial Service they bring a unique set of skills to the Foreign Service in order to help grow jobs and prosperity in America through trade and investment. My experience as a Foreign Commercial Service Officer overseas and the skills that I've developed while leading our worldwide programs as the Deputy Director General, which you mentioned, sir, have prepared me for the position to which I'm nominated. My early assignments were in Europe, and I later returned to manage our regional operations in Western Europe and EU affairs. My early my early postings were in Germany and Switzerland. From these positions, I was able to watch the fall of the Berlin Wall and eventually the dramatic breakup of Yugoslavia. I admired my foreign service colleagues who partnered with the Balkan region to rebuild and enter a new era of independence and growth, and now I'm grateful to have an opportunity to serve in this region if confirmed. Montenegro reemerged, as you know, in, as an independent country only in 2006 and has show, shown itself to be a positive example in the region. The country's commitment to freedom and democracy was cemented by Montenegro's accession to NATO in June of last year. In fact, members of the Montenegrin Armed Forces have served side by side with U.S. forces in Afghanistan since 2010. And happily, this newest NATO member is firmly on a path to achieve its 2% of GDP target for defense spending by 2024. Thus, while the country is small in size, it has demonstrated an outsized commitment to mutual operations. So just as Montenegro has committed to the mutual defense of its alliance partner, if confirmed, I will reassure our Montenegrin partners of our own robust commitment to the principle of mutual defense as enshrined in Article 5 of the Washington Treaty. The next step in this country's path to Euro-Atlantic integration is Montenegro's application for membership in the European Union, which is well underway. Supporting the integration of Montenegro into Euro-Atlantic institutions has been an overriding policy of the United States to date, and this will certainly be my top priority as ambassador. And my second priority flows from the first. That is to support the government of Montenegro's efforts to liberalize and strengthen its economy, including stamping out the scourge of corruption and bureaucratic overreach. 
As Montenegrin reforms begin to create a more effective and transparent legal and regulatory environment, economic growth and prosperity are sure to follow. And this, in turn, will bring more opportunities for U.S. firms in areas such as energy, tourism, health, agriculture. And if confirmed, I commit that the U.S. Embassy in Podgorica will make these deals happen. Finally, a third goal as U.S. Ambassador to Montenegro will be to assure a deepening and a broadening of our public engagement in the country to help the people of Montenegro understand American values and principles and policies to build trust and to correct misperceptions. The people of Montenegro have been engaged in a vital and exciting dialogue on the direction of the country's future, and the stellar team at Embassy Podgorica is working hard to support these important discussions. Members of the committee, I am eager to join them. If confirmed, I assure the committee that I will protect American interests, ensure the fair treatment of American citizens, and promote American values with every single engagement I have with the government of Montenegro and its people. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today, and I look forward to answering your questions. Thank you, Ms. Ranka. Uh, out of respect to my colleagues' time, I'll defer my question to the end, so Senator Murphy. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. Thank you again, all of you, for being here. Thank you for uh, bringing your families uh, with you. I know this is uh, uh, a joint concern uh, representing the United States abroad, and so I thank uh, all the family members who are here for their service to the country as well, and to those family members who will serve. We thank you uh, in advance. Um, uh, Mr. Costin, I wanted to start with you in part because there's some relative news of the day uh, surrounding uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, position on dialogue between Kosovo and Serbia that uh, maybe we can try to clear up uh, here today as you're heading off to this post. Um, Serbian Foreign Minister Dacic, who's a good friend of many of us on this committee, uh, met behind closed doors with Jared Kushner uh, in late July, and after that meeting, uh, he said something to the effect of uh, the U.S. position is now more tuned to our positions. Uh, that has set off some wild speculation in the region as to what the change in U.S. position is. The worry uh, um, amongst many is that the United States is now much more amenable to something called land swaps, uh, the idea that you would incorporate some Serbian populations uh, that are currently in Kosovo into Serbia in exchange for other uh, pieces of land. This is something that has been off limits uh, in the past. Uh, Phil Gordon said in 2013 that there's no way for borders in this region to be redrawn along ethnically clean lines as such partition and land swaps are unacceptable solutions. Um, what instructions do you have going to Kosovo with respect to the U.S. position on land swaps and has it changed um, given these comments from Dacic? Uh, Senator Murphy, thank you very much for raising this key question. Uh, I would say that our position has not changed. The position of the administration is that we support the EU-facilitated dialogue between Pristina and Belgrade. We think it is important that both governments and other stakeholders in these countries move forward with creative thinking about ways to overcome the longstanding tensions between Kosovo and Serbia. Uh, we think it's critical that both countries be able to discuss new ideas, but that is not a code word 
for land swap or, or uh, any, specific, any specific course of action. Uh, we very much want to see what sort of ideas the two governments come up with in the context of the dialogue. Uh, our, but our, our overall strategic goal is to see stability in the region, a resolution of the longstanding tensions, disagreements between Serbia and Kosovo in a manner that will facilitate both countries uh, you know, stronger ties with the West. Um, my understanding is that uh, the State Department has received no readout on this meeting between the Serbian Foreign Minister and Mr. Kushner. Do you know if uh, my understanding is wrong? Do you know whether the State Department has a readout of what was discussed? Uh, Senator, I will tell you honestly, this is the first I have heard of that particular meeting. Okay. I certainly look forward to, uh, to finding out more about it. Okay, thank you. Uh, Mr. Hogan, what a time to be heading to Moldova. Um, uh, this is a population that seems to be slowly shifting in favor of uh, European integration. It's obviously remains a, uh, a key question and one in which uh, the outside player of uh, the Kremlin uh, uh, has a lot to say uh, about. Um, Senator Portman and I and many others worked on setting up a capacity inside the State Department called the Global Engagement Center, and the idea was to uh, try to help seed uh, independent objective journalism uh, in places that didn't have a long history of it. Moldova is a place in which um, if you are um, willing to sell um, the rights to uh, the stories you tell, uh, you will have a willing buyer um, across the border in Russia. Um, and so it seems like a place where the United States could uh, really help stand up um, uh, real objective storytelling about what the stakes are for Moldova moving forward. What, that's one way that the U.S. can help uh, trying to tell the true story of what European and Euro-Atlantic integration will mean for uh, Moldova. Uh, what are some other ways that you think that the U.S. can play a constructive role here as Moldova decides which way they want to go? Uh, thank you, Senator, for that for that question. And and I've had the opportunity uh, to meet with the leadership of the Global Engagement Center, and 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 talk about if confirmed how we could work together uh, uh, to really counter uh, this barrage of uh, Russian uh, disinformation. Um, uh, I believe our, our our embassy and with the strong support of the interagency back here in Washington. Is, is actively working on, on, on just this very uh, problem set, which is, which is to provide the Moldovan people uh, with accurate information, and, and as well as to improve the media literacy uh, in the country as well, so that, so that the Moldovan people know what real news looks like, what it actually uh, is, uh, accurate in, in information. And, and so uh, there is a lot of effort going on that, a lot of our technical assistance capacity building, both when it comes to uh, the government entities that regulate uh, a media, but as, as well as civil society, political parties, how they can play uh, a, a greater role in this effort to provide the Moldovan people with accurate information. Great, thank you. Um, uh, Ms. Blanchard, I, I, I certainly don't expect you to be as, as read in as career uh, members of the Civil uh, Foreign Service uh, are into the book of business that you're going to undertake, but you are um, showing up or will be showing up in Slovenia at a very interesting political moment, uh, the anti-immigrant uh, SKS party has won the most seats in parliament, but uh, nobody really seems to want to partner with them. And so as of this hearing, we don't have a government. Um, you know, th there's a range of anti-immigrant parties in Europe. Some uh, are too hot for the taste of uh, others and for the United States. Others are a little bit more mainstream. 
Um, in getting ready for th this post, what's, what's your sense of the SKS party? Is this somebody that the United States can, is this a party that the United States can do business with? Um, or uh, is this a, a, a political movement that we should be worried about uh, as, from an American perspective? Thank you for that question, Senator. From what I've read on the issue, I believe that the U.S. should be excited about this new partnership and new government. They, uh, from what I've learned, they are interested in similar things with keeping with the EU as always, and we encourage that as a U.S. partner, our EU partnerships, um, to strengthen them. And I'm encouraged to work with the new government and try to make a difference with um, their trade uh, increase amounts. And it's, to me, it's an opportunity. Um, are you talking about the, the potential new government that's going to be formed? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I just think you may, we may wanna, you may wanna clarify those views. I think the SKS party um, it is a pretty hardline anti-immigrant party that no one is willing to partner with right now. And so the, 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 the party who has got the second leading number of seats is going to be attempting to form uh, a government. Uh, and so uh, I think you're probably referring to the potential new government, not necessarily to the SKS party. You're correct. I'm referring to that. Uh, I was told that they might form as soon as tomorrow. Right. Okay. Um, Great, I'll leave it at that. I might have a second uh, round if uh, we're doing it, but I'll let, uh, let others go. Senator Kane. Thank you, and I, I want to applaud the chair and ranking um, for your very careful focus on this area of the world, which is not my area of focus, and I'm here to learn. And I want to congratulate all of you for being nominated. I think a panel like this shows the sort of best of what the career foreign service is, career diplomats are, and it also shows why political diplomats are important to people who have a demonstrated track record of philanthropy in nations around the world wanting to represent our country but also to help people elsewhere. That's exactly the kind of person that uh, we intend to have and should have as, as political ambassadors. So thanks to all of you. And I'll also say, Mr. Chair, that um, you know Virginia doesn't demand every Senate confirmable position, but three quarters seems about right to me. That, that, that seems to be about a good ratio. Did you want to do introductions? <laughs> Um, I, I, I love this committee because it is educational. And Mr. Cousin, I'm going to do something that I don't think I ever do in a committee. I'm not going to ask you for, for what you, I'm not going to ask you about what you've been nominated for. I'm going to try to take advantage of the fact you've been in Turkey for the last two years. Um, we, we spend a lot of time in this committee, and I'm also on the Armed Services Committee, talking about the U.S.-Turkey relationship. And it is very, very tough right now. Um, when we ask our military leadership and armed services committees to give us advice about the U.S.-Turkey relationship, they say it's one of the toughest challenges that they have. We've had uh, a wonderful, long relationship with Turkey as a NATO ally, incredibly important. The use of the uh, Injurlik Air Force Base at Adana has been really important to us in the anti-ISIL campaign, for example. And yet we have some very serious challenges, differences of opinion with Turkey with respect to U.S. partnership with the Kurds in northern Syria. They are deeply worried about Mohammed Gulen's presence in the United States. We're deeply worried about their imprisonment of Pastor Brunson. They've recently put him in house arrest out of a prison, yet still he's in Turkey against his will. We're grappling with a challenge in Turkey where they're contemplating purchase of uh, Russian military technology that would require that we sanction them 
and yet components to the F-35 that we are relying upon for our military uh, air advantage in the future are manufactured in Turkey. Um, the back and forth on sanctions has created a lot of very, very difficult rhetoric between Turkey and the United States. And so what I really wanted to just ask you, and this is the only question I really wanted to ask, is based on your experience there, can you give us some advice as Congress, not the executive, but as Congress, what might we do based on your experience to improve the U.S.-Turkey relationship and hopefully get it into a, a better place? Well, uh, thank you very much, Senator Kane. And be, before I attempt to answer that question, I should note for the record that I've completed my tour as chargé in Ankara and uh, the developments in the relationship between Turkey and the United States are changing every day, so I need to be careful yep. about not speculating about the future. Okay, yep. having said that, uh, as you said, Senator, the relationship, the partnership between the United States and Turkey has been of great value to both countries for more than half a century. Mm -hmm. And even in the past two years, when there have been you know, great tensions, great frustrations on both sides, out of the, out of the spotlight, our cooperation has continued in many fields, in counterterrorism, including the war against ISIS, in regional security, trade and investment. There are many great opportunities in the relationship. And I would like to believe, and I do believe, that the people and governments of both countries recognize how much is at stake when relations are uh, in the sort of situation we are now, and how important it is for us to overcome the existing problems. Uh, to specifically answer your question about the role of Congress, uh, I have observed in the past two years how very important it has been for the government of Turkey to understand that on the key issues between us, most notably the status of American citizens and employees of the U.S. diplomatic mission mm -hmm. who are being detained on what we consider to be unreasonable spacious charges without any compelling evidence, that there is no daylight between the Congress and the administration. And I believe that, uh, that we have also demonstrated that there is you know, complete consensus on both sides of the aisle that there's nothing more important in our relationship with Turkey than making sure that American citizens overseas uh, are not subject to unreasonable prosecution and that we will do our part to make sure that our people abroad have due process and are treated uh, in a transparent fashion by the judicial system. Okay, long answer. I think that, if I may, I think the Congress is doing exactly the right thing, partnering very closely with the administration, demonstrating to the government and people of Turkey that these are not tactical uh, political issues. This, these issues get to the very heart of who we are as Americans, and we're going to continue to protect our people overseas, no matter how difficult that makes other aspects of the relationship. One of the issues um, that has gotten a lot of attention is the imprisonment of Pastor Brunson, and there have been suggestions in the past from Turkey, well, you know, we have one of your pastors, but you have a pastor, Mohammed Golan, living in Pennsylvania. Give us yours, and we'll give you ours. My understanding of the U.S. policy, which I would agree with, and I, I hope this is still the policy, is um, we would not want to harbor anybody in the United States who has done bad things elsewhere and would be subject to extradition pursuant to the rules of law and the treaty between the United States and Turkey dealing with extradition issues. Um, if anybody is here who, subject to the rule of law and that treaty, should be extradited, I would like the U.S. to follow the laws, follow the process to do that. 
but I also believe that we should not be swapping people in contraventional laws or contravention of treaties. Uh, is, is, is that your understanding of the current U.S. posture that with respect to the uh, um, Turkish demands with respect to Gulen or anybody else, our position is uh, if there's evidence that would suggest that pursuant to legal process in the U.S. Treaty Extradition Treaty that somebody should be extradited, then we can talk. But if there isn't that, it's not like we just sort of swap people around. Is that your understanding? Senator Kane, that is exactly correct. The U.S. Justice Department has consulted at great length with its Turkish counterparts to make sure that the Turks understand the terms of our extradition treaty and make the best case possible whenever they wish to extradite any suspect. Mm -hmm. I should note, because this sometimes doesn't get as, mu as much attention as it should, that the coup attempt uh, in, uh, in July of 2016 was a serious assault, not just on the Erdogan government, but on the Turkish nation. Mm -hmm. And we respect the, the, the need for, uh, for Turkey to do everything reasonable to ensure that nothing like that happens again. Mm -hmm. But as you, as you said in your statement, Senator, we have to take the actions we're going to take uh, in accordance with our laws. And we, ca we can't just you know, treat people as, as trade goods. Mr. Chair, thanks for indulging me on that. I couldn't resist the opportunity to learn from somebody who's been there for two years on an issue that's really important to the committee. I appreciate no, it. No, uh, interesting line of questioning is what we talked about in my office yesterday, as a matter of fact. So thank you. Appreciate your attendance. Um, I, I always tend to, in these hearings, go back to economic issues. And, uh, you know, Ms. Reinke, it's noteworthy, obviously, that you were with the Commerce Department, and congratulations on, on this uh, nomination. Uh, we spoke a little bit in terms of Montenegro, and I was there. Uh, some pretty, from my standpoint, surprising polling results. 50% of young people in Montenegro, their, their aspirations to join the government, where, well, let's face it, that in, in these countries is where security, economic security has always uh, presided. The problem is that doesn't help grow an economy. Uh, Bosnia, the result was 70%. And uh, you know, I don't have the polling results on, on the other uh, nations being represented here. But my guess is it's a, it's a similar type of problem. So I guess I'd, you know, having discussed that yesterday, I'm just wondering if you've given any thought and what, as an ambassador, you could potentially do to, to help break through that. Thank you, Senator Johnson. I'm glad you asked the question. I enjoyed the discussion yesterday, and I think it's really part of what I'm hopefully going to be able to bring to the job if confirmed. Um, my, I made ref reference in my second point, my second priority, that I really want to work with the government of Montenegro as they strengthen the institutions and the environment that will allow business to flourish. Rule of law, transparency, predictability, these are all things that are, first of all, necessary for their um, efforts to accede to the European Union, which uh, is, is a process. But those, those um, reforms and the implementation of those reforms will create an environment where businesses can flourish in Montenegro, both their own businesses and, of course, in our case, uh, the United States um, has businesses that would love to partner um, with, with companies in, in Montenegro. But entrepreneurship, and I think I'm, that's getting to your point, is, is not yet something that has grabbed hold of the heart of the young people and the, those who are looking for opportunity. And I hope that I can work with the government to identify ways to... Um, we talked about marketing... The, the beauty of the country, marketing the, the goods of the country, um, unique products such, such as their prosciuttos and their cheeses, 
and I think you know of cheeses. So it is the kind of thing that would um, We don't build... want a whole lot of competition. No, I don't, not yet. <laughs> well, I've, I, I've, I've said they punch above their weight, and I think that uh, these are the kinds of things that the country will bring uh, to the world. And these are opportunities to bring uh, strength, uh, uh, strength in the economy, prosperity to the people. And I believe a prosperous and stable Montenegro is good for the region and it's good for America. The table stakes is you need security. Uh, but that is you know, not only national security, but you need, you need, you need the economic security. Uh, these nations are under pressure from Russia. You know, Montenegro, that was, that, that was an act of war had that actually been carried out. Um, Russia doesn't recognize Kosovo, which is why they're so wildly popular in, in, uh, in Serbia. Um, we know the frozen conflict in, in Transnistria with Moldova. So uh, they have those challenges. They really do need to proceed economically. So I'll, I'll just keep going down the list. Uh, Mr. Koznet, uh, what can we do in terms of Kosovo? Y you know, utilizing our relationship between the U.S. and, and Kosovo to, to help their economy, their, build their economy, because that, al that also helps their, their economic, economic and national security. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, I think right now we're seeing that, um, that some foreign companies, not only American companies, are reluctant to invest in a significant fashion in Kosovo, in large part because of their concerns about rule of law. Uh, you know, companies have to know that if they're going to get involved in business overseas and they get into a dispute with a local partner, that they're going to get a fair shake. And this is just one of the many reasons why uh, helping the, uh, the government people of Kosovo to strengthen rule of law, to counter corruption, is so important to us. Uh, there has been an increase in interest from American business, you know, small businesses like food franchisers, but also a major hotel company that's opening there. And the biggest project is uh, Contour Global's proposal for a $1.4 billion power plant. I mention that in particular because we believe that uh, being able to uh, regularize the power grid in Kosovo is going to have potentially huge effect for the economy and create a opportunities in manufacturing that don't exist now because there is just no reliable power grid. And as I mentioned in my opening statement, it's costing something like $415 billion a year. So I think, of course, we can continue to encourage American business to, to take a, a close look at Kosovo. But uh, as you know, companies are only going to invest where it makes business sense. Mr. Hogan, basically the same question. Thank you, Senator. Uh, I would say that there is an entrepreneurial spirit in, in, in Moldova. The government has set up a number of uh, a free trade uh, uh, zones uh, where, where, where businesses can, can come in and set up shop there. Uh, we, we see 60%, 67% of the goods and services from Moldova going to Europe. Uh, years ago, the numbers were going in the opposite direction in terms of the, the trajectory. Uh, so there is some, there is some progress there. As just as my colleague, uh, Mr. Kosnet said, of course, rule of law, corruption, are serve as major Im impediments. Uh, uh, businesses, of uh, U.S. businesses in particular, want to go where they know uh, that the that the playing field is level, it's fair, transparent, and and so and so we are actively working uh, in that regard in terms of our U.S. assistance as, as well as public diplomacy and even diplomatic en engagement. So we uh, uh, take that point very seriously. I'd also like to. 
add that energy security is, is similarly important in terms of the country's uh, ability to be able to receive electricity, to be integrated into the European markets, both on electricity as well as gas. That, that, that also serves as a firm foundation for this economic growth that we're both so interested in. Thank you. I was struck when we visited Moldova how the Soviet Union basically tapped that country as their wine region. So that's some other, some more potential. Uh, Ms. Blanchard, just, just talk again about the potential economic uh, cooperation between the U.S. And, and Slovenia. Well, our trade is small, and I encourage all trade through um, our partnership, our bilateral partnership. I, uh, working with Slovenia, if confirmed, I'm excited that um, there's a lot of opportunity because we have such small trade. I'm encouraged that uh, at the moment for 2017, there was 5% GDP growth. Uh, 2018 seems to be the same. And uh, I'm excited to partner in trying to bring in business, business and private opportunities for the country of Slovenia. Okay, thank you. Senator Murphy. Uh, a few more questions. Um, uh, Ms. Frankie, uh, you know, our, um, our incentive system uh, around uh, Montenegrin reform was NATO membership for a long time, and uh, we are glad to now have them as part of the coalition. Um, but uh, now the series of incentives that remain to make progress that still needs to be made is uh, EU. Um, integration, and that dream seems more like a dream than a reality as time goes on for a lot of countries in the Balkan region. Um, there are others who fit the same bill. Um, so how, is, um, how do you see the ambassador's role uh, to try to make clear that there is still reason to engage in reform, that the EU is still a potential landing spot for Montenegro, regardless of the turmoil that's happening today inside uh, the, uh, uh, inside the association. Um, how do you push them to keep reforming now that NATO has been settled, at least for the time being? Thank you, Senator Murphy. It's ex an excellent question, and it's the kind of thing I am thinking about because um, EU is a very attractive goal for the country. I think um, the decision to uh, pursue accession is a brave one. It's the right one, but it does not seem as immediate for the people or the government uh, with, a, with a target right now as early as 2025. Um, people get impatient. What I hope to convey is that the kind of reforms we're talking about, the, the chapters that remain to be um, uh, addressed and closed uh, provisionally as they uh, pursue accession involve the same things my, my colleagues have talked about, the rule of law and, and how, um, how the government treats businesses. And if Montenegro is able to recognize that those reforms in and of themselves will attract business, will stimulate entrepreneurship, will bring in investment, those are the messages I'd like to convey. And I think the uh, the benefit of um, pursuing that very long, maybe bureaucratic EU accession process, um, I'll try to put that aside and talk about the more immediate benefits of making the reforms and, and giving an opportunity for the, the businesses to respond. Yeah. So those are the messages I'll be discussing. Well, I'm glad you've given some thought to that already. Um, uh, th two more questions. Just, uh, Mr. Kostinet, I actually had a question relative to your experience in, uh, in Turkey as, as well. Um, 
you know, most people here in the United States and across the world may have forgotten about the Ottoman Empire, but the Turks have not. Uh, and uh, Kosovo was part of the Ottoman Empire for uh, as well as much of the region for 500 years. Uh, and so we tend to talk a lot in this committee about uh, Russia's interest in the Balkan region, but the Turks have a lot of interests in the region as well, and specifically in Kosovo. But I'd love just for you to talk for a minute about what Turkey's interests are in the Balkans um, and how those um, either align or conflict with uh, U.S. goals in the region. And you can drill down on Kosovo or not. I'm more interested in the broader answer. Well, thank you, Senator. Uh, I think Turkey sees itself very much as a rising power, and not just in you know, military terms, but uh, in soft power terms in the Middle East, in the Balkans, in Central Asia. And I think there is a renewed interest in, uh, in Turkey uh, among Turks of all backgrounds, a renewed sense of pride in their heritage, in their Ottoman past. And you see that in pop culture where TV shows about the Ottoman Empire are all the rage. But beyond that, uh, I think they see themselves as, uh, as on the upswing now, as, as a country of increasing importance. And there are many areas where our interests do align. And I would submit that Kosovo is one of those areas, that uh, uh, there uh, is significant Turkish investment there. There are uh, Turkish, uh, Turkish troops in K4 who uh, play an important role, not just in providing security, but also in professionalizing the Kosovo security forces. forces. Uh, I think that uh, if confirmed, you know, I can look forward to working with my Turkish counterpart to try to find ways for us to sync up our efforts to support anti-corruption and economic development in Kosovo. Yeah, I think it's a real opportunity to have someone with your background uh, in uh, Pristina. So um, I, I had one more question for Ms. Blanchard, but we're running long, so I'll uh, let it go. Thank you all for your uh, testimony here today. I just want to follow up a little more on in terms of Kosovo. We talked about Turkish influence. I think one of the concerns of people in the region would be potentially radicalization of the Muslim population there. Uh, can, can you speak a little bit about any knowledge you have, either you or Mr. Hogan, uh, having been in the Middle East and, and seeing Wahhabism spread and that concern in that region? Okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to start, and then, uh, and then uh, Derek... My friend Derek can expand and correct my remarks. Uh, I think that the, uh, the government of Kosovo has made a real effort in the last three years to tackle head-on the problem of, uh, of radicalism, of violent extremism in Kosovo. As I uh, mentioned in my opening remarks, the, they made a good start with legislation, which is a model for the region, and beyond that, they have arrested more than 200 people. They've shut down NGOs. Uh, Beyond that, and that's in a sense dealing with the symptoms. You know, I think that um, that that the government of Kosovo and uh, and other stakeholders are are making a real effort to look at uh, to to coin a phrase the root causes of terrorism in Kosovo. And I look forward, if confirmed, to digging into this more deeply you know, when I get there. But my understanding is that there have been problems in the past because of extreme poverty and people's alienation. Uh, some young people sense that they don't have a future there, that they've been attracted to ISIS ideology. This is certainly not unique to Kosovo. Uh, earlier in my career, I, I spent many years working on counterterrorism issues, so this is a particular interest of mine, and I think it continues to be a priority on an interagency basis for our team in Pristina. Thank you, Mr. Hogan. 
Thank you, Senator. I, I'm not aware of, of, of any uh, serious concern of, of radical is Islam uh, in, in, in Moldova, but of course I will look into that and if there is, I will get back to you on, on that. And, and I would just say that I, my understanding is, is that uh, uh, the, there's a fair sense of uh, a, a good measure of tolerance and, 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 and inclusivity in, in Moldova. So, so, so I would be surprised if there were, but like I said, when I get on the ground, if confirmed, I would get, get into that. Okay. Thank you. Um, any further questions? I, I don't have a question. Just uh, just a follow up on I think your very good first question, which is, um, you know, we do increasingly hear these reports of, you know, if not radicalization, the increasing influence of Wahhabism and conservative Islam. Uh, in the region. For instance, uh, if you walk around the Albanian sections of Montenegro today, you will see women wearing head coverings uh, in a way that you did not um, even five to ten years ago. And the stories are that um, some of them have made the choice to do that. Others are being paid uh, to do that um, by certain clerics and certain mosques that are being funded from the outside. And so I just raise it as something that I hope, um, you, you know, in particular those that are going to uh, countries with uh, large Muslim populations will pay attention to because I think we're really, you know, endeavoring to try uh, to get um, uh, to get information uh, uh, here. So um, uh, appreciate you guys uh, paying attention to that. Well, again, we want to thank our nominees for your willingness to serve your families. It, it is a uh, all-consuming uh, type of occupation, so uh, re really do appreciate that. Uh, with that, the hearing record will remain open for statements or questions until the close of business on Friday, August 17th. This hearing is adjourned.